want to talk to you a little bit about um, sex and... Uh, <laughs> 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 Most of you are Christians, so you won't need this message. It's for other people. Um, <laughs> other people who, you know, who have it. Uh, <laughs> have sex, yeah. And you guys, you know, you got here, the stork brought you, brought, brought you all. And so I've been on vacation, so this is the first time I've spoken about a week and a half. So that's a, it's a long time for me. I want to tell you this story. This story is a story about this young man named Johnny. And Johnny, he just graduated from junior high and eighth grade uh, in our country. And he's, he's, uh, he's going to high school, and it's the first day of school He's really nervous. Everybody remember your first day of high school? I can still remember it, and I'm three, 38 years old. And um, <laughs> actually, they have a 40th, uh, 40th class, uh, what do they call it? Reunion this year. So um, I didn't go. Most of, there wasn't many people there. Most of the people that I went to school with are dead. Um, but Johnny, you know, I still remember my first, year, my first day of high school, and Johnny's He's on his way to, high, to his first day of high school. He's really nervous. Got up a little late, and he has to walk two miles to school, and uphill both ways, of course. And he's, he's, on, he's on the way to school, kind of rushing, very nervous. And he turns left on Destiny Lane, and as he turns left, he looks over across the street, and he notices that there's something glistening off a showroom window. And it kind of catches his eye, and it's one of those things that, you know, you... One of those kind of things that happen that kind of mesmerizes you. And so he makes a mental note in his head. He's in a hurry. He doesn't have time to check out what it is. And he gets to school that day just as the bell rings. And he looks around. It looks like everybody else is scared as heck too. So he feels a little better about himself. And, uh, and sits down and you know, goes through school that day. Writes down in his journal, first day. Made the first day of school. He's walking, going home and... He remembers that he saw something glistening off a showroom window as he turned on Destiny Lane. So he decided that he would stop on the way home and investigate it. And he stops in, and he notices, he crosses the street, sees this showroom window, and he notices that what was glistening in the window was, a, it was in the window of a jewelry store. And so he looks in the, this jewelry store window. He's 15, he doesn't really care about jewelry, but he happens to notice that the, the, that was what was glistening off the showroom window is a ring, a diamond ring. And he begins to stare into the diamond in the showroom window as if he needed a ring at all. And as he stared into the diamond, something crazy happened. Something almost supernatural happened. Suddenly, as he stares into the diamond, he sees the woman of his dreams. And she's got a blue dress on. She's got long black hair. And she has a body. We won't talk about that part right now. <laughs> and he's totally never seen anything like this before. It's like this supernatural experience. And so he goes back and forth to school every day, walking back and forth to school every day, and every day on the way home, he stops in the jewelry store window, and he stares into the diamond, and every day, 
as he stares in the diamond, he sees the woman of his, let's try it. He sees the woman of his dreams. He sees the woman of his dreams. And so this goes on for many months, and finally summer turns to winter. And he, um, he just, he has this growing passion to see this ring up close, because he's only seen it behind glass. And so one day, you know, he's, he gets the courage, and he one day goes into the store. It's, it's raining, cold, really cold, windy day. Gets into the store, and he looks, and there's an old man behind the store. He's about 40 years old. And uh, Johnny's really nervous, and the old man looks up at him, and he goes, What do you want, boy? He's like, oh, it feels totally disrespected. Now he's really nervous. And he um, says, well, I'd like to, uh, sir, I would, uh, if I could, what I'd like to do, what I came in the store for. I came here, sir, that I might see the ring that's in the showroom window. Sir, don't mind. And so the old man goes up to the, store, the front of the window, and he's like, you know, he's acting like he's, you know, being bothered, and he's like, so what ring is it, boy? And he finally points it out, and he's, he's like, that's a woman's wedding ring. He's like, yeah, I, I know. Yes, sir, I, I just, I need to see it. Can you, would it be all, just can I maybe see it? And so the old man gets the ring, and he's acting really turd, and he takes the ring, and he shows it to the young man to Johnny and and Johnny reaches out to grab the ring and the old man's like no no you can't touch it you can only look at it so Johnny's like okay so Johnny's looking at the ring and as Johnny begins to look at the ring suddenly he looks into the diamond and out of the diamond appears the woman of his dreams and she's got this beautiful blue dress on that's blowing in the wind. She has long black hair, did I tell you this? And green eyes, and she has this body. She has a body. And, uh, <laughs> and as he's in this, in this mesmerized state of mind, this woman of his dreams begins to reach out for him. And as she reaches out for him, he reaches out for her. And he grabs the old man. And the old man's like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't. And he gets so scared, he doesn't know what to do. And he runs out the door. He runs all the way home. And he says to himself, you stupid Johnny. You're an idiot. Oh, Johnny, you're so stupid. If anybody would have seen you, you are an idiot, Johnny. What's wrong with you? And so every day now, he crosses the street when he gets to the jewelry store. He doesn't want the old man to see him. And he just thinks about what an idiot he was. And and two or three or four months goes by, but something is growing in his heart. He hasn't seen the woman of his dreams for months. And he notices as he passes by the jewelry store that on Fridays the old man isn't there, that there's a, a woman behind the counter. So he plots all week long that he's going to go in on Friday and he's going to buy the ring for the woman. And so he gets into the, gets, it's Friday, he, after school, he walks into the jewelry store. Now he's really, really nervous. He's tried this once before, it didn't work too well. He gets into the store and the woman looks up, she has a customer in front of her, 
And she says to him, uh, sir, I'll be with you in just a minute. And he's like, sir, I'm a sir. That's what I am. I'm a, I've come here as a customer. I'm a paying customer. That's what I'm doing in here. And so the, the sales lady finishes with the, the previous customer and turns to him and said, sir, may I help you? And he says, yes, I've, I'm a customer and I've, I've come here to see that ring that's in the window. That's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm a customer. That's what I am, a sir. And so she goes through the same thing, which ring, and he tells her about the ring, and that he points it out, and she, she take, grabs the ring from the window, and she brings it to him. She said, well, this must be a very special lady for you to buy a $10,000 wedding ring. It's the first time he's heard the price, and, and, he's, and, she, and he says, so, well, is, how long have you known this lady? Oh, oh well, I haven't met her yet. And the lady says to her, oh, well, to him, well, you, oh, this is a blind date. You're buying a $10,000 ring. No, ma'am, she's not blind. <laughs> He's just so nervous he can't think. And so he, she, you know, brings the ring out and shows it to him. And if he reaches out to get the ring. She says, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't let you touch it. He's, he says, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm a paying customer. I'm a sir. I've come here to purchase, not a looker, ma'am. So she says she looks around to see if the manager's there and takes the ring out and lets him see it. And it's the first time he's ever touched the ring. And he begins to look into the ring and he sees in this beautiful diamond the woman of his dreams. And did I tell you she has this beautiful flowing blue dress on, long black hair and green eyes and a body. And he's totally mesmerized. He's totally into this, into this mesmerized state. And as he sees the woman of his dreams, she begins to reach out to touch him. And he realizes that not only has he been looking for her all of his life, all 15 years, but she has been looking for him. And so suddenly the woman says, the sales lady says, well, sir, or he says, I'll buy it. I'll take it right now. And she's like, okay. He knows he has no money. But he pulls his wallet out. He's like, let me see. How much is that? What, could you ta- add the tax into it? And she's like, that's $10,784. And he's like, okay, well, I- I'm a little short. Uh, but I'll be back. And so Johnny goes out and he gets a job. You know, it's like in the Bible, the book of Job. He gets one of those. And he's... He spends three weeks trying to find a job. He finally gets a job at the car wash. His parents are totally, like, they're totally mesmerized. They can't figure out why the kid wants to work. They can't get him to dig the garbage out at home, but he wants to get a job. And so he goes to work at, at the clean and shine car wash, and he works every day after school. And all he does all day is he goes to school. He does his homework because he's a Christian, and then he goes to work. And the next morning, he gets up, goes to school, does his homework, and goes to work. And he does this for six days, seven days a week. He doesn't go to school on the weekends. And finally, he saves up $300. And he goes in, and he tells the lady, I want to I put down some money for, this, for the ring, for the woman. His dreams. And so she makes this whole deal out and, and you know, makes him a deal. And he has to pay $100 every Friday. And, 
And, you know, the old man comes out and says, you know, if you miss the payment, I'm taking the ring back. And so he's like, no, sir, I won't miss the payment. You don't understand. I'm a paying customer. That's what I am. And so he works every day, seven days a week. And at the week of graduation, for four years he's worked for this ring. On graduation day, the day before, two days before graduation, he puts the last payment on the ring for the woman of his dreams. And he's all excited. He has the ring. He doesn't have a woman yet, but he's seen her. And so he has this ring, and he graduates from high school. He's so excited. He's worked every day for this ring at, at the Clean and Shine car wash, seven days a week for four years. And about, um, about two or three weeks goes by after he graduates from high school. He comes home one day, and he drives into the driveway and as he drives in his driveway, he notices that his mother and father are standing on the front porch, and his mother's in tears, and his father looks very stressed. He jumps out of the, parks the car, jumps out of the car, runs to the front porch. Mom, Dad, what's wrong? Is there something wrong? And as he gets to the front porch, his father hands him an envelope. It's already been opened, although it's addressed to him, and it says, U.S. Army. It's during the days of Vietnam, and he's been drafted to Vietnam. Nobody wants to go to Vietnam. His mother's crying. His father's stressed. And he's trying to comfort his parents. A month later, he ends up on the boot camp bus going to Vietnam. He's totally scared. It reminds him of the first day of high school, except for worse. Everybody on the bus is scared. He gets to the, they get to boot camp, and, and everybody gets out of the bus, and the sergeant, a sergeant's there, and he's yelling at him, calling his mother names, and screaming at them. They all get the same haircut and they run till people throw up and it's just not good. They get in late at night and Johnny, when Johnny went in to the army, he brought the ring with him because he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't want anybody to know he had it. And so he takes the ring and he, he hides it in a sock and he puts it in his locker. And three o'clock in the morning, Sergeant walks in, first day of boot camp. It's locker inspection. Everybody up, locker inspection. Everybody, locker inspection. Everybody jumps out of bed, and, and Johnny's trying to figure out what the heck, what's going on. And the sergeant's opening the lockers and, and looking at them and throwing all the lockers on the floor. What's this looks? This looks like crap. I need to clean this up. And he's getting close to Johnny, and Johnny's like, ah, i got to get the ring out of there. And so he opens his locker, and, and the sergeant starts yelling, Johnny Johnson, away from the locker, get back. He's standing next to the locker. The sergeant comes over, throws the locker on, looks at the locker, throws the locker on the ground. This is a mess. Clean it up. And just as he does, the sock flies out and lands right at the sergeant's feet. Sergeant's all, Johnson, pick that up. Pick up those, that sock. He picks up the sock. The sergeant smells the sock throws it across the room. That smells like dog crap. You hear me? You report for laundry duty. You're on laundry duty for a month. So when he throws the, the, the sock against the wall, he can hear the ring hit the floor. He's like, ah, oh, the ring. He waits till the sergeant leaves. He runs over, grabs the ring, puts it in his pocket, reports for laundry duty, and he's like, what am I going to do? This could happen again. So he starts to think and think and think, and he decides that he's going to take the ring, and he takes his helmet off, and he carves, he carves a crevice in his helmet 
find some duct tape. You know, you can do anything with duct tape. Seriously, you could make a chastity belt out of duct tape. So, he gets it. He duct tapes the ring into his helmet, puts the liner back in, and puts the helmet on. And now he has the ring with him all throughout the rest of boot camp. A couple months goes by, three months goes by, he finishes boot camp. They're all waiting one day for their assignments, where they're going to go. And some are off to Germany and some to Australia. And finally, there's about 300 men left in the barracks. And the sergeant looks at everyone. He says, the rest of you, you're all going to Vietnam. Oh, they're so scared. Young men, 19, 20 years old. Oh, Vietnam. Three days later, they're on a, a huge cargo plane heading for Vietnam. They're all scared. Some, some men are crying on the plane. Johnny's totally distraught. He has his rifle with him. He's got his ring and his helmet. And he falls asleep on the plane. And as he falls asleep, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees the woman of his dreams. And she has, did I tell you, a blue, beautiful dress on and long black hair and green eyes. And she has a body. <laughs> and in the dream, she reaches out and she puts her hand, he puts, she puts her hand on his shoulder and she looks him in the eyes. And in her eyes, she can, he can see the world. And she says to Johnny, it's going to be all right. And when, he says, when she says, it's going to be all right, a supernatural peace fills his soul. And he knows he's going to live. And as he's looking at her, that flowing blue dress turns into a nurse's outfit. He doesn't know what it means. Just as the dream ends, they end up slamming down on a dirt runway. Men are, sergeants yelling, all right, men, welcome to Vietnam. They get out of the dirt, on the dirt runway, and immediately they're taking fire on this dirt runway in the middle of jungle. Men running for, for cover, the plane goes to take off. They shoot the plane down on the way off the, off the runway. And men so scared, men are crying, rushing through the jungle, following the sergeant. Everybody's scared. That goes on for months. Half the troop dies in battle. Johnny's never seen anything like this. This is war, and war is hell. And one day, they end up in the middle of this, this big field. And the sergeant looks up and he says, Men, I'm so sorry to say this, but we're completely surrounded by the enemy. And here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to run across this field. We're going to jump on that foxhole, and we're going to fight our way out the other side. When I say go, everybody, out of this foxhole, run across the field. Don't stop running till you get to the next foxhole, and we're going to fight our way out the other side. So the men jump up one by one, run across the field under heavy fire. Johnny's last. He gets up, runs across the field. As he gets about three-quarters away across the field, this long couple hundred-yard field, he's running across the field under heavy fire. His helmet falls off. He runs in, jumps in the foxhole, and he starts yelling, I gotta get my helmet. I gotta get my helmet. The sergeant's all, Johnson, get down, are you crazy? Get, you don't understand, Sergeant, I have to get my helmet. He jumps out of the foxhole, he runs back to get his helmet, and as he's running back to the foxhole, he gets shot twice in the leg. Down he goes. 
He's 25 feet from the foxhole. Men crawl out under heavy fire, drag him into the foxhole. But he's bleeding badly. These, they hit an artery and they call for a medevac. It's hours before the helicopter gets there. Again, under heavy fire, they take him to the mass unit. And for three days, he's completely unconscious. They don't know if, they're gonna, if he's going to live or die. He's lost so much blood. And finally, one day, on the third day, he wakes up. He doesn't know where he is. He wakes up and he starts yelling, where am I? Where's my helmet? And he hears this voice behind his headboard. Where's my helmet? Where's my helmet? Where am I? What's happened to me? He hears his helmet. Johnny Johnson, it's okay. It's gonna be all right. Your sergeant made sure that your helmet, that you brought your helmet for you. He's heard that voice before. He doesn't know, he can't place that voice, but he's heard it before. She comes around the side of the bed to bring the helmet, and he looks up, and there she is, the woman of his dreams. Did I tell you she had black, long black hair, <laughs> green eyes, and a beautiful body? And so she goes, I'm going to go get the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get the doctor, and she, she runs out, and she gets to the threshold of the doorway and he says stop wait stop she stops she turns around what is it sergeant what what is it private johnson will you marry me she says you're delusional on getting the doctor she runs out gets the doctor doctor comes in and, you know he and you know starts the doctor walks in and says i i see you met maria 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 I just met a girl named Maria. <laughs> he doesn't even remember what the doctor said about his leg or if he's going to get it amputated or what happened. All he can think of is, I met a woman named Maria. And weeks go by, and she's his nurse, and, and little by little they build a relationship, and about six, eight weeks goes by, and they're getting really connected. They've been sitting out on the porch in the middle of the village, making a connection and then the doctor comes in on a Monday and he says Friday you're going home we're sending you back to the States you're being released he's like okay and so all that week they sit out watch the Sun set and wait till the Sun rises in the morning out on the front porch Thursday night he's leaving Friday morning Thursday night just as the Sun begins to set Maria turns to him and says I do he said, you do what? She said, remember you said, would you marry me? He said, yeah. He said, she said, I do. I will marry you. And so they get back to the States, and he finds out she's very wealthy, and that's a whole longer story. And, and they, they have this beautiful, incredible wedding, and he buys her a cheap $1,000 wedding ring and doesn't want her to know that he's got So the wedding's over, and they go, they drive to this, this, this cottage on the beach, and he's all excited. It's his honeymoon night, and, 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 and he's sitting on the, on the bed, and she's in getting ready in the bathroom, and he says to her, Maria, hurry up, I have something for you. 
And she says, I have something for you too, Johnny. She said, oh, no, I know, I know, but I have something for you. She says, good things are worth waiting for, Johnny. He's so excited, he can hardly stand it. And finally, she comes out of the, of the, of the dressing room, and she has on this, never, you don't need to know. You don't even need to know. And the prophetic people, turn off your imaginer. Turn off your imaginer. So she says, I have something for you. So I, I have something for you too. Would you just, I know what you have. But I, can you sit here? Just sit here for a second. I have a gift for you. So he, she sits down. Close your eyes. So he pulls out the blue velvet box and he hands her the box, the little velvet box. And he's so excited. And she, she opens up the box and she sees takes the ring out of the box and she she looks at it she, oh that's beautiful do you like it oh it's very nice he's thinking very nice are you kidding me it's awesome she puts it on her finger it fits perfectly because I wrote the story <laughs> and that night you know they consummate the marriage you know consummate the marriage <laughs> this is dating. This is dating. Do you understand? Dating. Not this. This. Not this. This is dating. This is consummate the marriage. So they consummate the marriage and the next morning they get up early and, and she she says, the last one to the beach is a loser. And she gets her bathing suit on. She's running out. And he's, and he's like, Maria. He's getting his shorts on. Maria, take off the ring. Take off the ring. She, oh, no, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. They get out there, and they're, they're in, on the beach, and, and they're running along the beach, and, and, you know, they're frolicking. You know frolicking? <laughs> Have you ever frolicked before? You can frolic in, like this. You don't have to. You understand, frolic is not a consummation. Frolicking's okay, as long as you do it this way, not this way. They're frolicking along the beach, laughing, having so much fun, and this big wave crashes over them. They're all laughing. They get up, and she looks down, and she's lost the ring. She turns to Johnny. She says, Johnny, I'm so sorry. The ring is gone. He can't believe it. He walks to the shore, tears running down his eyes. He falls to the, to this end of the sand, takes his head, puts it in his hands, and he's weeping. She comes over, Johnny, Johnny, I'm so sorry. You were right. <laughs> Only time in his marriage he'll ever hear that. You were right. She's, you were right. I'm so sorry, Johnny. He just. He can't believe it. He's, he's so distraught. He's like, Johnny, my parents are wealthy. They'll buy me another ring just like it. See, Maria, what Maria didn't understand is that the value of the ring was not in the gold and the diamonds. See, the value of the ring 
was in the blood, sweat, and tears it took to get the ring from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night that he lay with his lover, he had something to give her that he had to fight to keep. See, anybody can give away something expensive, but only people who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. See, that, that ring is actually your virginity. That ring is your virginity. And everybody wants it. Everybody's trying to get it. It's a war to keep your virginity and give it to the man, to the woman of your dreams. The greater the battle, the sweeter the victory. And our society has lost sight that you have a trophy, that you have something that you have to fight for. See, the reason why God gives you a sex drive years before he wants you to have sex inside of covenant is because the value of your virginity is in the battle that it takes to get your virginity from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So the greater the battle, the greater the victory. In 2 Samuel 24, there's a famine in the land and many people are dying. And the prophet, Nathan, comes to David and says, God says that if you go down to this guy's house, you build an altar, and you offer a sacrifice, the plague will be stopped. David rushes with his men down to this man's rich man's house. In 2 Samuel 24, the man rushes out to meet him. The king's in his front yard. King, what would you have me do? He said, I need to buy this plot of land from you so that I can build an altar and offer to God a sacrifice and stop the plague. The wealthy man says to the king, Oh, king, you're my king. You can have the property for free. And David says this incredibly, these incredibly amazing and famous words. Oh, that I would offer to God something that costs me nothing. No, you will not give it to me, but I will pay a price for it. In our culture of fast food and immediate gratification, we've lost sight that at times what makes something valuable is that you have to wait for it, that you have to fight for it, that you have to sacrifice for it, that it costs you something. See, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, how many know when God said, be fruitful and multiply, that God creates? How many of you know that? And when God said, be fruitful, multiply, how many know he gave you a sex drive? How many of you believe that? Where, where'd the rest of you get yours from? <laughs> See, the question is, what does it mean to have a sex drive? I've, I've, I've taught this for 10 years all over the world. What does it mean to have a sex drive? Because, see, what happens is, is that when you hit puberty, 
in most religious circles, you're supposed to pretend this isn't happening. You're supposed to pretend that Christians, if you love God, you will not have a sex drive. This is what I think it means to have a sex drive. I think it means you want to have sex with somebody. So, you know, you're 15 years old, you come to something like Jesus culture, you're worshiping, you're, oh, Jesus, I love you, you're amazing. I want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> but the problem is, is that in religious cultures, you're supposed to pretend this isn't happening. So you don't tell anybody, and the person next to you, he wants to have sex with somebody too, but he doesn't tell anybody either, because it's a cultural thing to pretend this isn't happening, because we're Christians. And finally, it gets so bad, you know, he's having dreams and things are happening. And he, he goes to his pastor and he, he sits with them. And the pastor's all, oh, what's wrong with you, Mr. Johnny Johnson? He's like, I, I want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> okay, we're going to pray for you. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a spirit of lust. Yes, sir. That's a spirit of lust. And they pray for him. Yeah, wow. That was the Asian demon. For all the Asian people. I have the Spanish one, the Mexican one, the French one too. They just, there's something about karate that I like better. So he prays for him. How do you feel? I, I would still want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> well, this must be a very bad demon. <laughs> this is probably a principality. <laughs> yeah, either that or it's a hormone. See, the goal is not to get rid of your sex drive. The goal is that you would learn to manage your appetite. And by the way, you'll need it when you get married. I know, guys, I know what you're thinking. You're like, when I get married, I'm going to have sex three times a day, and this will be all right. You'll do that for like the first three days, and then you'll need to manage your appetite again. Or maybe it's the girls. Whatever, you get it. You don't know what I'm trying to say. The po <laughs> Are you guys all right? <laughs> Some of you just found out you are all right. You're like, this is normal. I came to worship school and all I think, I want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> that Jesus was tempted in every way except without sin? It's in the Bible. I'm sorry. You need to start reading. It's really a good book. <laughs> Jesus was tempted, what? What did the Bible say, Hebrews? Every way except without sin. Do you know temptation is not a sin? Do you know that you are not defined by the temptations you resist, but only by the passions you embrace? Well, I have a same-sex attraction. So? I must be a homosexual. No, listen, you are not defined by the temptations you resist. You're only defined 
by the passions you embrace and the virtues that you allow to manage those passions. Are you following me at all? If you were defined by your temptations, can you imagine what you would be? You'd be like quadpolar. I mean, the fact that I could, the fact that when I got married, it didn't, I've been married 38 years. I know, it's a miracle. The fact that I, when I got married, my sex drive didn't automatically switch to one woman. Do you know that? I have to make a choice that I am a one-woman man. What I'm getting at is, I am not an adulteress because my appetite could be for other women. That doesn't define me. Why? Because my virtues say, tell my appetite what to do. My appetite goes, we'd like to have all these women. My virtues go, no, no, we are a one-woman man. We made a covenant with one woman. We will have sex with one woman only, and we will have sex with her. We will only have sex with one woman in our minds, in our hearts, and in our bodies. Because we are a triune being. We are spirit and soul and body committed to having sex with this one woman. We will not entertain sexual fantasies about any other woman because we are a one woman man. And the kingdom within me becomes the kingdom around me. So I don't want to have sex with somebody inside of me in my imagination because eventually it's going to get out. Are you with me? And so my, I am not defined by my temptations. People are all the time like, there must be something wrong with me because I, I feel like, I don't care what your temptation is. It, we, we live in a very strange society. As soon as you say, well, how do you know you're a homosexual? Well, because I have attraction for the same, uh, same sex. Well, what if you had attraction for little girls or little boys? Is it okay to follow your attractions? Well, of course not. Well, that's what you're doing. You're defining, listen, you don't have plumbing. I mean, just look at your plumbing. It tells you who you are. I don't know who I am. Look down. Well, I think I was created to be a girl. Well, if you're a boy, you weren't. You've got other stuff. I'm not playing it off. I'm not saying, listen, what I'm not saying is, I think some, some people are like, you aren't attracted to the same sex. I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, so? So? If you were like feeling like you should rob banks, I think you probably would manage that. <laughs> it's so funny, you know? When you need money, you don't, how many of you, when you need money, you, you think, man, I could just rob a bank? <laughs> how many of in here, how many in here, how many in here ever needed money before? I mean, like, really seriously needed money. No, I mean, like, seriously needed money. How many of you have ever considered robbing a bank to get it? <laughs> Half the class. Well, us. Who's your parents? Bonnie and Clyde? I, I, I think you know my point. My point is, is that we were raised with certain virtues. Yeah, there's probably two or three people in here. I'm not saying, I'm not speaking against you. I am simply saying whether or not you thought that, probably your culture told you that's wrong and you didn't entertain it for long. Isn't that true? I'm just trying to make a point. 
I'm trying to say, I could need money really bad, but I don't think about robbing the bank. Like, it doesn't typically even come to my mind. And if it does, I go, that's a stupid idea, right? That's a stupid idea. But when I need sex, it doesn't occur to me to use the same kind, the same kind of values to manage my sex drive as I do to manage my need for funds. <laughs> Hello, anybody home? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 says, If you do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The Message Bible says it's better to marry um, than to be sexually tortured. I don't know if you got this, but and I understand that it's bigger than this, but what do I do if, I, if I'm being sexually tortured? Get married! Well, that's not the answer. The Bible says it is. Well, I shouldn't marry just because I want to have sex. The Bible says you should. <laughs> Why are you getting married? I have to have sex with somebody. <laughs> I understand it's deeper than that. Please, don't tweet that. Please don't. Uh, seriously, I have haters. They hate me. I, I send them to Facebook hell. Almost every day I have haters in Facebook hell. Purgatory, actually. Facebook purgatory. Where Jesus will come and give them one more chance. But I will not. In Jewish weddings... Oh, I have to go faster. I'm sorry. I hope you haven't been bored. Um, I don't know this, but... I don't know if you know this, but in Jewish weddings lasted a week. Do you know that? And so Jewish wedding would last a week, and the, the bride and groom would, they would come, much like we do in most of our cultures, they would come in front of the, both families, by the way, this was a family affair, it wasn't, um, it wasn't done in private, they'd come to, they'd come in, God bless you. I'm glad that one left, because that was a big one. Wow, that thing shouted when it went out. So, the bride and groom, are you with me? I'm supposed to be done in 10 minutes. That ain't going to happen, but, but it's going to be close. I'm going to do my best to get you out of here soon. So the, the bride and groom, they would exchange vows, and during the ceremony, the men would, from both families would take all their weapons, and they would line them up in front of the bride and groom, all their weapons. They would exchange vows, and there was... No celebration yet. And then when they, after the exchange of vows, they would go into the bridal chamber. The bridal chamber was typically a tent. And all of the people waited outside. Now, now I understand. See, in our culture, in American culture, we have the talk. You know what the talk is? I remember when, when we did the talk with our children. Like, I remember, Jamie's our oldest. She's a girl. And she started to get all of her parts. One day, coming downstairs, and she's got all of her parts. We got to have the talk. Jamie's got her parts. But the Jews, they don't have a talk. They have a healthy sexual culture. 
So the bride and groom, they go into the bridal chamber and they consummate the marriage. Remember I taught you this earlier? They consummate the marriage. Now, now you have to understand, there's no, there's no dancing, there's no singing, there's no drinking, there's no celebration, there's none of that yet. They break the camera? And so, uh, the, and, and so they go into the, the bridal chamber, and this is not uh, over 18, over 21. Little children, little children there, all the way, you get it? All the way up. This is, all, this is a family affair. They go in, they consummate the marriage, and when they, after they consummate the marriage, they take the blood that's, that should be on the sheets. You, are you following me? And they throw the, the bloody sheet over the top of the bridal chamber wall. And then the celebration starts. Now, can you imagine, like, little Henry's there, and little Henry's four. <laughs> when he sees the bloody sheet, he's like, well, they've only been in there an hour, and they're already in a fight. <laughs> and what I'm getting at is that this becomes a conversation piece, a way to bring up sex in an age-appropriate way from the time you're little so that there isn't a talk, there's a healthy sexual culture where sex is celebrated, not shamed. See, the world perverts sex. The church shames it, but the kingdom celebrates it. Now, you understand a woman has a hymen. It's a, it's, it's a sack of blood inside of her vagina that's most of the time, not always, breaks the first time she has intercourse, the first time she has sex. Why, you know, scientists have studied this for, for a long time. I read a uh, scientific study on hymen years and years ago. It's probably 20 years ago. I don't remember the details, but I remember this, that they didn't understand why a hymen breaks, but it never heals. It never, it never fills up with blood again. And one day I realized something, that God wanted children to be born out of a blood covenant so he provided the blood so that the children so that the covenant the covenant would be made before the children are conceived now why did the why did the men bring the the weapons and put them in front of the bride and groom because see the covenant was never between the husband the man and the woman the covenant was always between two families when in Jewish culture, when a woman gets married to a man, she takes on his name and adds it to hers, and, she, and he takes on her name and adds it to his. So my, Kathy's last name was Talbert. I would be Chris Talbert Bellaton. She would be Kathy Bellaton Talbert. And we would mix our names. Do you remember in the days of the kings, in, in the book of Kings, when a king wanted to make a covenant with another king, what would he do? He'd marry her daughter. Why? Because when he marries her daughter, are you following me? The two kingdoms are there to protect the covenant. And so the men bring up the weapons, and the, it's, it's a prophetic declaration that from this point on, to the, the, let's say the, the people on my side of the family, the Valentins, come to the wedding, and they, they say to the Talberts, from this day forward, we will protect this covenant. And the Talberts come to the, to the wedding, and they say to the Valentins, from this day forward, we will protect this covenant. This is a family affair. It wasn't to be shamed. It wasn't, it wasn't just between two people. It wasn't before a judge. It was a family affair. It was a community. Are you following me? So sex was made to happen in covenant. You remember that Jesus made a covenant. 
And before he made the covenant, six months before he makes covenant with his disciples, he keeps telling them, one of you betray me. How many of you remember this story? And it intensifies as he gets closer to his, the cross, closer to his death. He begins to tell them pretty consistently, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And it, it's really confusing for them. And they don't know who's going to betray him. On the night he was betrayed, remember, they named the night. We call it the Last Supper. They call it, and the night he was betrayed. The guys are all around the table, and Jesus does what he's been doing for months. One of you will betray me. Very frustrating. Now, how many of you know that if, if Judas couldn't do miracles, they'd know it was Judas? Like, every time we pray for the sick, Judas has to go to the bathroom. Right? They would know it was Judas. So he must have been able to walk in power, or they would have known that he, he, wasn't, he was the betrayer. And I think it's in the book of John. Peter asked John, when Jesus says, one of you betray me, Peter asked John, is it me? Ask him, is it me? And John, you'll notice, turns to Jesus and doesn't say, is it Peter? He says, is it me? Then Jesus does this crazy, amazing thing. He turns to the guys and he says, let's make a covenant. And when he says, let's make a covenant, Judas says, time for me to leave. You know why? How did Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss. Because the Judas spirit, the Judas spirit wants the benefits. See, the Judas spirit wants affection, wants intimacy without covenant. It's cohabiting. In our country, we have people, they have three children together, and they're not married. And you say to them, why don't you guys get married? I mean, you know, you've got three children together. They're like, oh, it's just a piece of paper. Really? If it's just a piece of paper, why don't you sign it? I'll tell you why you don't sign it. Because, see, marriage, marriage says, covenant says, the blood. You understand the blood? The blood says, I am here to lay down my life for you. I've come not for what I can get. I've come to bring my strength to you. I've come for what I can give. And we lay down our lives for one another. But cohabiting says, I'm in this for what I can get. And see, I don't want to sign a piece of paper that's, that, that says, I'll stay with you forever. Because I use the fear of abandonment to keep you doing what I want you to do. Because if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll leave. And no wonder people, children, are born in insecurity and fear because they have parents who are not covenant. They didn't come out of covenant. See, when you have a covenant, and remember the blood, the, the, the hymen, all that? Children are born out of covenant. In other words, your children become a sign of the covenant you have with the man or woman of your dreams. Every time you see one of the little ones running around, you remember the woman of your dreams, the man of your dreams. Why? Because they came out of covenant. But in cohabiting, see, sometimes people get pregnant to try to keep the guy. I'm like, well, if I have more responsibility, he'll stay. No, 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 you're not getting it. A person who doesn't have any virtues or values, they don't care how much responsibility they have. In fact, the more responsibility they have, the more likely they are to run away. <laughs> oh boy. Jesus loves you. 
He loves me. We're all good. Can, can I have 15 more minutes? Yes. The Bible's not shy about sex. Well, I went to church for 25 years, and my pastor never preached one message about it. I didn't say your pastor wasn't shy. I said the Bible isn't. The Bible talks about sex from Genesis to Revelation, sort of, in Revelation. Well, I'm bride. you got to have sex when you're a bride. Maybe. I don't know. Not, not. Rewind that. That's wrong. Anyway, in Revelation, I mean. I, I want to read you. I, one Sunday morning, I decided to preach on sex on Sunday morning. I just thought, you know, everybody needs to hear this, really, you know, because they're all like, you know. Yeah, they're all looking constipated. I'm like, somebody needs to talk to these people. So the first thing I did is I read Genesis 1, you know, 26, 27, all the way to the end of the chapter, and it says, God said, be fruitful, multiply. And then, it, then at the end it says, and God looked, and he saw that everything he made was very good. And I said, how many of you know when God said, be fruitful, multiply, da-da-da, he gave you sex drive, everybody raised their hand. I said, and God said, it's very good. Everybody's very quiet. I said, turn to your neighbor and said, sex is very good. That didn't go over too well. <laughs> Pastor Bill wasn't in the room, thankfully. And then I said, okay, I want to just, let's, I want, I want to talk about sex today, and I want you to know that sex is in the Bible, so why, why don't we turn to a, the Bible and turn to Song of Solomon. So I had him turn to Song of Solomon, and we read this passage. I'll just read it to you. It's a medium passage. Medium. You know salsa? Mild, medium. <laughs> I, I'm just to read you a few verses, just a few verses. Song of Solomon 7.1, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, O princess daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a, like a round goblet that never lacks mixed wine, and your belly is like the heap of wheat fenced off with lilies. Your two breasts are like twin fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes are like pools of Hesperon by the gate of Bethlehem. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which faces towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, with flowing locks of your head are like purple threads. The king is captivated by your thresses. How beautiful and how, I'm sorry, how beautiful and delightful you are, my love, with all your charms. Your statue is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I'll climb the palm tree and I'll take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples. And it goes on like that. When I got to that part, about almost everybody in the congregation was sunk down in their chairs and many were reading like this. I wish I had a lot more time because this is a two-hour message and I'm trying to do it in an hour and ten minutes. So you're going to get you're going to get sex light. <laughs> My sex light message. When I was in high school, I met Kathy when she was 12. I was 15. A year before I met Kathy, I was I, I was really I was really had I really had low self-esteem in high school. I didn't know how amazing I am like I do am do now. Now, to know me is to love me. 
Anyway, joke, um, maybe. So anyway, I shortened the story. I need to go faster. So there was this girl in school. She was the head cheerleader. I really liked her. She was in, one, she was in my algebra class. I totally flunked algebra because I was thinking of biology. And uh, <laughs> we were taking algebra, and I was doing anatomy. I wasn't a believer, and, and she wasn't a believer. So anyway, one day, I asked her out. You know, in our day, we called it going study. I have no idea what you call it now. But so I, I asked her name was Denise. I said, Denise, would you go study with me? I was so scared. And I thought, you know what? If I go study with Denise, everybody will think I'm amazing because I've come here to use her reputation to make me actually have some self-esteem, which is a great way to be in a relationship. And Denise said, I would love to go study with you. I said, good, well, I'll pick you up from school after the last class, and that meant I'll walk you home because I didn't have a car. And so I walk her home two miles, the opposite direction. I, walk, I live two miles from school. I literally live two miles from high school, walked home every day until I got a car. And so I walk her home, and we're talking, and I'm holding hands with her, and I'm being so cool. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. Like the head cheerleader of high school is going out with me. And so we get about a block from her house, and she said, my parents aren't home. And I'm like, oh, awesome, you know, your parents aren't home. And, um, and then uh, we, we get to the front, um, her front yard. She goes, that's my house right there. I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know. And she's talking. I'm, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not listening, trying. I'm, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just, like, so excited. And so we get to her lawn, and, and she said, my parents have bought a new waterbed. This is when waterbeds were popular. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know why she's talking to me about the furniture, but this is awesome. We're making small talk. I'm like, oh, it's cool, you know. So I walk her to the front door. This is day one. I walk her to the front door, and I, you know, I'm not sure what to do. You know, it's like, you know. And she said, would you, would you like to try out the waterbed? Would you like to try out the waterbed? Now, it suddenly occurred to me that we were not going to take a nap. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I, I had no idea what to do. Have you, ever, have you ever had your brain totally freeze? And you're standing there, and it feels like eternity, eternity just passed before you? I'm standing in front of the most beautiful girl in high school, she's the most popular girl in school, is going out with me. This is day one. It's been three hours. And she says, do you, do you want to try out my parents' waterbed? Uh, I look at her. I don't know how long this, this, this maybe was, took 20 seconds, but it, I, it felt like forever. And, and, and my mind started to talk to me. Did your brain ever talk to you? My brain, my first, my, part of my brain was like, Get out of here, run, 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 you crazy kid, run, run. <laughs> and this other part of my brain was like, you want her, yeah, <laughs> you want her, run, run, <laughs> you like to have sex with this woman, what? run, 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 crazy kid, you scared, get out of here, run, run, and, and, and seriously, this was going on in my mind, I'm serious, just like that. You want? Get out of here! You crazy! I didn't know what to do. I'm standing there, and she—I remember the look on her face. Like to this day, I still remember the look on her face. I turned around and I ran home. I ran home four miles. 
Four miles, I ran home. So I've had sex with one woman in my whole life. It's the one I'm married to, thank God. It wasn't because of my great plan. <laughs> but you should have a plan for purity. You should have a plan. And I have a whole idea of what your plan should be, but I don't have time to give it to you. But I'll say this. You better decide if you want to be a virgin before you, get, before you date. If you're, like, unsure, you've made your decision. And if you date someone who's unsure, they've made their decision too. Well, how would I date someone and not know? You have to ask them. You have your virginity. You plan on keeping it. I mean, if they want to keep it after they get married, that's an issue. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I have like 15 ideas of what you should do to set boundaries, but I'll just give you one. I'll give you two. I'll give you, no, we don't have time. And I have one more thing I have to do. I, number one, no submarine racing. Submarine racing. Submarines, you know, submarines? Submarines, it's that, and uh, they're out. You put your tongue in his mouth or her mouth, that's submarine racing. What do you guys call it? French kissing. Yes, French kissing. Well, I don't know. Listen, if Sticking your tongue in her mouth doesn't stimulate you sexually, you are dead. You need other help. Because you are simulating intercourse. I didn't know that. Yes, you did. You're just plain stupid. Run up here real quick, would you? You, run up here. Quick, hurry. When you go out with someone, have a plan. Make sure that you're not alone. And, and when, you, when, you, like, when you hug a girl, just pretend you're a girl, okay? And you're, you're good. I have no same-sex attraction. Okay? Do not hug her like this. Well, I don't get it. Listen, if her, putting her boobs on your chest doesn't <laughs> stimulate you, you are dead. You hug her like this. You got it. Okay, go, you can go sit down. <laughs> Girls, can I say something to you as a father? If it isn't for sale, don't advertise. You're killing us. You are killing us. Let there be some surprise when you get married. <laughs> something other people don't know <laughs> would be nice. You wear stuff so tight, it's like, uh, ain't going to be no secrets when we get on our honeymoon. I've already seen it all. It's, guys are visually stimulated. So if you're, well, well girls are too. Um, okay, whatever. No argument. I'm just telling you, girls are stimulated sexually by touch, guys by, by sight. Uh, you're stereotyping us. Fine, I'm stereotyping you. I'm old, I can do that. You get a certain age, you can say anything.
You know, if you're doing this, I just don't know why these guys are all following me. Those guys, they're so... Hey, the bait you use determines the fish you catch. You catch girls, I'm sorry I'm picking on you right now, I'll get the guys in a minute. You catch a guy with big, because of your big boobs, I don't know how you're going to keep them because there's always someone bigger. I'm just being a dad to you. I'm just trying to tell you what I taught my girls. If that's the way you caught the guy, don't be surprised that he's looking around when someone that has a better body walks by. And you're always wondering who he's with. Because you just caught a virtuous man. Virtuous man. Virtuous. He has no virtues. I'm not saying, it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying be ugly. I'm not saying be ugly, but there's a difference between being sexy and being pretty. And being pretty is sexy, you know, when you get married, you're all, it's all good. You can consummate the marriage and it's all right. But if you catch a guy, on a serious note, if you use sex to catch a guy, girls, remember. And by the way, he'll tell you anything to have sex with you. I love you. You're the only one I've, uh, I've ever uh, said this to. Yeah, right. Sure, yeah, I love you. If you love me, then you will keep me a virtuous woman. If you love me, then you'll wait. If you love me, you'll protect my innocence. Don't tell me you'll love me, and then you'll screw me. And by the way, that's not called making love. That's called being screwed. Making love is when you actually are in love, and love is a covenant that you make. So let's just be real, okay? Let's be real, okay? You're gonna, you got somebody who wants to have sex with you, and he's like, let's make love. That's not called being making love. That's not called making love. By the way, 99% of the time, he's gone when he's, got, when he's conquered you. It's the way he's wired. If that's the kind of guy you want, be careful. You're going to spend your whole marriage trying to figure out how to keep him. Guys, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going longer than I said. Uh, guys, your job is to bring the king's daughter back from a date better than you found her. Your job is to have a plan. This is the king's daughter. Do not mess with the king's daughter. Do not come into a relationship with somebody to get their stuff. Come to bring your strength. Your job is to protect her. Your job is to, is to make sure that you protect her, her nobility. To bring the king back his princess better than you found her. If you do break up, if the relationship doesn't work, you have no regrets. Because she's a better person because she got to know you. And the, getting to know people should make you a better person. Do you agree? Even getting to know someone romantically, and you're like, okay, this, you know, there's something, this isn't working, it's fine. You haven't crossed boundaries, there's no regrets. So your, your job, girls, I know it's your job too, but the guys should be leading in this. Guys should be leading. Guys, have guts. 
okay? Well, she wanted to have sex with me. I don't care what she wanted, okay? You keep her pure. That's your job. You are in charge of your sex drive, and you are in charge of making sure that she stays pure. Well, she wanted to have sex with me. Well, drop her off and find someone else because you haven't found yourself a virtuous woman. Or maybe she thinks that she has to to keep you or whatever, all this weird stuff. And if we had longer, I would tell you more. There's a book I wrote called Moral Revolution. It's really, really an excellent book. Jason's wrote a couple of chapters in there um, on dating. I really would encourage you if, you're, if you are, I don't believe in dating. Okay, courting. I don't believe in courting. Whatever you call it when two people sit down and get to know each other because they're moving towards marriage. Whatever you call that, okay? I know different people have different ideas. I want to I want to tell you this this final story, and it'll take me a couple minutes. Several years ago, I had a very very close. He was actually like a son to me. Who met this gal, and she, I'll, I'll shorten the story. This gal had come out of a lot of immorality. She was, uh, she was, uh, she was the Mary Magdalene of her high school. Her mother was a drug addict, and one day, and she used to, her mother used to sleep with men in a small apartment on the floor in exchange for drugs. One day, when, she, when, when Grace, I'll call her Grace, when Grace, this is a true story, when Grace was 15 years old, two men came to the door, and her mother gave Grace her first man. After she had sex with him that night, her mother called her a whore from that day on. Two years later, she found Jesus. She had a radical encounter with Jesus. And she met my spiritual son. And he kept telling me, one day, he comes to my door at 1 o'clock in the morning, knocks on the door. I come to the door. I said, what's going on? He said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I said, what is it? He said, I just found the woman of my dreams. You're going to love her. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Her mother's a drug addict. Her father, she doesn't know her father. She's been a Christian for six months. I'm like, oh, great. They date, court, whatever, move towards marriage for a year and a half. About six months into the relationship, she calls me on the phone. And by the way, the second week, she asked me, can I call you dad? I said, that would be fine. Dad, that sounds good. It has a ring to it. Dad, I'm dad. And so about six months into the relationship, she calls me on the phone. My son, all of my kids made a covenant with God to keep their purity. They had a purity ring that they wore on their wedding finger as a sign that they had made a covenant with God to keep their purity, to keep their virginity until they got married. And, um, and then they used that ring as part of, their, of the um, celebration, as part of the exchange, as part of the covenant. And my son wore white t-shirts and a ring, and that ring played three sports and he had to get special permission to not ever take the ring off because this is his idea, not mine. He made a covenant with God, I will not take this ring off until I marry the woman of my dreams. So it was a big deal at foot, when he played football. They didn't want you to have any jewelry, da, da, da. Had to go see the principal. So anyway, I'm in this room with, with this girl named Grace and she, she calls me and she said, Actually, she calls me, and she said, Dad, can I come see you? She's crying on the phone. I said, sure. She comes over, meets with Kathy, and I were sitting on the couch, just her and I and Kathy, and she said, I can't, I can't marry. I can't marry your spiritual son. I said, why not? 
She said, because I'm not a virgin. And she told me this long story about the story I told you, true story. And she said, I've, I've lost my virginity. I've been with many men. My mother gave me my first man. And she's just weeping. She's in a puddle. I didn't know what to do. I still remember sitting on the couch with her that day. I took her by the shoulders. I said, look at my eyes. She looked at my eyes. She's shame, guilt, weeping. I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. And when I do, God's going to restore your virginity. Kathy looks over at me like, (laughs) what? This voice in my mind is like, huh, find a verse for that, you idiot. (laughs) You know how you say something that comes out of your mouth you don't even know if you believe it or not? I'm like, so she looks at me and she said, what does that mean? I said, I said, (laughs) I'm trying to act totally confident. I am totally scared to death. I have no idea what I'm doing. I said, I'm going to pray for you, and when I get done praying for you, God's going to restore your virginity. I said, okay. So I pray, my best prayer, you know, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now that you would, God would, he's already forgiven you, and he's washed you clean, and, and, he's, and, and he would restore your virginity right now. She, you know, we hug her, everything's good. A year later, they get married. Third night of their honeymoon, third day of their honeymoon, I get a phone call. I pick up the phone. Hi, oh, Grace, what are you doing? You're calling me on your honeymoon. Yeah, everything okay? Like, you know, everything working out all right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 Dad's yeah, great, great. Remember when you prayed for me for my virginity to be restored? Like, yeah, vaguely. <laughs> she said, well, God restored my hymen. God restored my hymen. I'm like, of course. He prayed. Since that day, that was many years ago, 18 years ago, since that day, I have prayed for hundreds of men and women that God would restore them, spirit, soul, and body. No, no, that's not true. I have prayed for thousands. I was in an auditorium last year, two years ago, in Asia. I prayed for 5,000 young people. I've had thousands of emails, Facebooks, private, private, obviously, where women have wrote me and said, God, restore my hymen when you prayed for me. Now, you know, it's kind of hard to share in church, you know? You've got a prayer line, like, share testimonies. What happened to you? Ah, oh, a bad knee, you know? I really hurt it in a sport, you know, playing sports, and, and look, she's good. How about you? I had a bum shoulder, you know, the guy over there prayed for me, and... What happened to you? Well, my hymen. <laughs> Y'all pray for me, my hymen came back, you know. It's kind of hard to tell your pastor, you know what I mean? But this afternoon, I, I always end this message this way. Listen, I don't care how deep you've been in sin. You can't go so deep that God can't find you. You can't sin so bad that God can't forgive you. And you can't get so evil that God can't restore you. I mean, he, this is, this is God. This is what we believe. This is why we're Christians. This is why we believe, listen, God isn't trying to fix you. He 
killed the old man and made you born again. Well, I had sex as a Christian. All right. Well, how about you repent, which means you change your mind about that, and you let God cleanse you from all unrighteousness and restore you spirit, soul, and body. How about that? How does that work? Is that all right? So, you know, some of you, you heard this message, and I'll tell you something. I didn't sleep with anybody until I met Kathy. She's the only woman I've ever slept with. It wasn't because I had great virtues. I wasn't a Christian. I was just scared. I just, I just, and I look back and I see that God was at, at work in my life. And, you know, and some of you, you, no one said, you know, what I heard, you know, this was my sex education. My mom said, you're going to get herpes. You're going to go blind. You know the story. This is before AIDS. I mean, like, some, something terrible. Like, the reason you shouldn't have sex is because something terrible is going to happen to you. And, and, and then we go like, well, we fixed that problem. We have condoms now, so, you know, it's all good. And, and you know, there's a whole other story there. But my point is, is that nobody said, you got a trophy that you need to get from the battlefield to the bedroom because someday you're going to give this trophy to one woman one time in your life. No one ever gave me a vision for my period. They just tried to scare me into not having sex. And some of you heard a story today and you're like, that's the first time anyone's ever told me why I have this battle going on and I'm not supposed to do anything about it. And so this afternoon, I want to pray for people who'd like to have their virginity restored. You want your virginity restored. And obviously you're going to give your virginity to your husband or wife when you get married. And you'd like to have your purity restored. And you can do that if you're married and you, you didn't come into your marriage pure. And so what I'm going to do, I need the cameras completely off audience, completely off the audience. And I need everybody's eyes closed. Everybody. Everybody. I, staff, if you're in here, your staff, camera guy, everybody, I need your eyes closed. I need your head bowed, your eyes closed. Please, for, just for the sake of privacy, I know you know what I'm doing. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing so you'll know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you'd like to have your virginity restored, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to leave, have you leave your eyes closed. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have anyone else see you. The goal is to keep your honor in, in place. I'm going to have you raise your hand, and I'm going to have you leave it up and, with your eyes closed, and I'm going to pray for you right where you sit, and God's going to restore you. No, no, you have to touch me. You have to, no, I don't. I've done this hundreds of times. This works. So everybody, close your eyes, bow your head, and if you've lost your virginity, or you need God to restore your purity, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and leave it up. Don't open your eyes. Nobody look around. Just raise your hand, please. Okay, leave your hand up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus, when you raised your hand, you said, I repent. Raising your hand is your step of faith. And you're saying, by raising your hand, Jesus, I repent. I was wrong, or I was abused, or whatever, but whatever. I was violated. It cannot be your fault, whatever. But you're raising your hand, and you're saying, I made this mess. Someone helped me make this mess. Someone violated me. However it went in your life, there's so many. Our society is so sexual. It's become so perverted. It could be any of those things. But whatever it is right now, Jesus is going to restore you. And Jesus, I just thank you for these people who are raising their hands. And I pray right now that you restore them spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. 
and right now we break every soul tie, because the Bible says that when you have sex with somebody, that you become one with them. And Lord, we break every soul tie that, that happened, that occurred during this physical act that was also a spiritual connection. We break those connections and we say, and we send their, their soul back to them and we get our soul back and we become whole right now. And I pray for wholeness in every, on every person who's raising their hand right now, that they would have the same experience that Grace had, if the, the women, that they, God, that you would restore their hymen, guys that they'd feel free and clean, girls too, Lord, and I, I pray for that in Jesus' name. And they would feel like that they have, they have something to fight for. That they have something to fight for. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you put your hands down? Now go ahead and open your eyes. I was doing an interview. Actually, I wasn't doing the interview. We have an organization called Moral Revolution, and they were doing an interview with these, uh, with these six, six of our students, three girls and three guys, and they were talking about this very issue. And uh, I, I love this one guy said, the one girl said, uh, they, they had all lost their virginity, all six of them, and they had all had it restored. And it was their choice to be on this talk show that we were doing. And uh, so, the, you know, the girls were talking about how, you know, God restored them. And, and so the one girl asked the one guy, how do you feel since Jesus touched your life and you got prayer? You, you got prayed for, for your virginity to be restored. And he, with all the exuberance, if you can imagine this red-haired kid, he said, I am a born-again virgin. I'm a born-again virgin. And all of you that raised your hands today, you're a born-again virgin.